Some of us have a love-hate relationship with Scripture, or an on-again, off-again relationship, one that swings from attention to neglect, interest to disinterest, not to mention comprehension to incomprehension, or delight to disgust. Not long ago, I read the rather unedifying story of an Israelite concubine dismembered by her husband and distributed to the 12 tribes of Israel, along with a call to war. Lovely. And this book is supposed to be formative for us. Holy Scripture has some decidedly unholy contents, yet somehow it's meant to shape us, form us, mould us, and help make us holy. If you have difficulty with parts of the Bible, you are not alone. Deriving spiritual benefit from its pages is no straightforward task. The Bible portrays in unflinching terms the inhumanity of humanity. Even its portrayal of God can be baffling, woven as it is through ancient Near Eastern cultures, patriarchal societies, the rise and fall of empires, animal sacrifice, and lots else that troubles us. As Matthew said a few weeks ago, the Bible is a joint divine human project, like salvation itself, like Jesus' nature. And that does explain some of its complexity. It also means we have to work at it to tease out the thread of grace, that divine thread, and to sift the divine human partnership in Scripture from the horror of human failing. And there is plenty of that in the Bible. I read that horrid story in Judges, along with a great many other horrid stories in Judges recently, because I'm currently doing something thoroughly evangelical that I've never actually done before. I'm reading my way through the whole Bible, chunk by chunk, on a daily basis. Well, I say daily. It's a one-year Bible plan that I'll probably finish in about five or six years, given the number of days I skip. But who cares? I'll finish it when I finish it. Why tell you this? Well, not actually for the reason that you might think. Not to tell you to read your Bible more. I know that many of us were raised in good Christian homes, in Sunday schools, in youth groups, where daily Bible reading, scripture memorization, the word for today, and a myriad of good Bible reading practices were strongly encouraged. And those practices may have been life-giving for us. They may have fostered genuine faith, or they may have left us feeling inadequate, even guilty or worse, proud of our knowledge, like the Pharisees. Some of us are genuinely thankful, and rightly so, for that grounding in Scripture that we had. But others of us may have had to detox from an approach to Scripture that was heavy-handed, that left us resenting the next expectation from a parent or a Christian leader, or the next argument over a Bible verse. And so we walked away from the Bible, and not without cause. Maybe you asked a tricky question about the Bible at that lovely adversarial age of 14 or 24. 
And someone in authority suggested that you keep your questions to yourself. Maybe you never quite met that God that people spoke about who was revealed through Scripture, so they said. Or maybe something in life hurt you. And the Bible suddenly, as you understood it, no longer made sense to you. My brother and I, my twin brother and I, and here's a picture of our family. I'm in the green quote, uh, coat. Note the lovely bowl cuts. We won boomerangs in a competition as children for memorizing all 66 books of the Bible. On the boomerangs were painted the words, Jesus said, I will come again. Our parents were in Christian ministry, and the Bible had a central place in family life, a good place, I would say. We were free to ask questions. In fact, we liked the Bible. Then Dad died of cancer. My brother and I were 14, and our sisters were 8 and 10 at the time. Our mother raised four children on her own. She's a saint. By age 17, I was arguing with any Christian adult I could find against the goodness of God. I would pick fights with people and tell them why the world wasn't right and God wasn't good. I held God responsible for Dad's death, and I had an emotional aversion to Scripture. At age 24, the Holy Spirit was sovereignly drawing me back to God, and that's an amazing thing. It was a profound and painful journey for me at the time. It involved lifting the lid on intense buried grief and anger. In the midst of that journey, I prayed a very simple prayer one day. I said, God, help me open the Bible. Why would I pray that? Well, I think because I knew that this book somehow is central to knowing the God who was drawing me back into companionship with himself. I wanted to walk with God by then, despite my angst and my anguish. You see, I don't want to whip up enthusiasm today for evangelical Bible reading practices. No. Rather, I want to address how we actually feel about the Bible, because that matters. How we feel about the Bible and how we feel about God are frequently related. If you're going to put God in the dock like I did for a decade, you are going to find fault with Scripture. And if you're going to open up subsequently to God, you'll find you can't go far down that road without having, having to open Scripture also. Spiritual formation, our growth in God, cannot bypass the Bible. So I'm linking three things today, how we feel about God, how we feel about the Bible, and our spiritual formation, our transformation as followers of Jesus Christ. Scripture is a primary means that God uses to transform us and shape our lives. However, we tend to avoid or approach Scripture based on how we feel about God and even how we feel about ourselves in relation to God. Genuine spiritual formation, the kind that deeply shapes a life, always happens first at the level of the human heart, 
where core beliefs and true feelings reside. And I think the reason some good evangelical Bible practices don't always shape lives as deeply as they could is because they're sometimes targeted at the head and not necessarily at the heart. Now that's a mistake that the biblical writers don't make. Take, for example, Psalm 139, where the psalmist prays, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. These are terrifying words, but with a very astute observation embedded at the centre of them. And that observation is that you cannot know your own heart and mind in any true sense unless God reveals them to you. Think about that for a moment. We are actually blinkered. We are, in fact, deceived about ourselves, about our true condition, about the state of our heart, our relationship with God, our place in the world, unless God sheds light on who we actually are. We are alienated from ourselves. When I prayed, God help me open the Bible, I wasn't asking to become a good, faithful Bible reader. I was asking to know myself. I was actually desperate to unravel the angry, restless young man who was yet to forgive God for his father's death. I was even asking the object of my anger to deal with my anger. I couldn't free myself. I knew that. God had to help me. And of course, one of the means that God would use was scripture. It was a tool in God's hand to prize open my hard and hurting heart. Real spiritual formation is a messy business. Psalm 1, our text for this series, doesn't fully capture that. It presents two cleanly opposed paths, leading to nicely distinct ends. The person who delights in God's word is blessed and flourishes like a tree planted by a stream. The person who despises God's instruction withers and dies. Nice and simple. Except it isn't, is it? It's messier than that. Psalm 1 functions like much of Proverbs. It's absolutist. It paints an almost eschatological picture of where these two paths end up. That's fine. It serves an important purpose to warn and to promise. But don't mistake the black and white choices of Psalm 1 for a straightforward journey. Spiritual formation journeys are messy. They meander. If you, by chance, already delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night, good for you. This sermon is not for you. For the rest of us, if we're honest, there are barriers to be removed. There are lids to be lifted off the soul. There are feelings to be felt and surrendered. There's a brave prayer to pray. Search me, O God, and know my heart. 
And just how do you think God does that searching? I think already you know the answer. And the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When did you last let God search your heart through scripture? When did you last see yourself in true perspective? which only God can show you. God met, met me in my mid-twenties, relieving me of that anger and grief and calling me into full-time Christian ministry. Last year, 25 years after that, I took a sabbatical from ministry. I did some professional development, but otherwise I stepped back from most work and ministry to let God minister to me for a bit. I dived into emotional and spiritual territory that I wanted to explore within myself, with God. You see, much shifted in my 20s by the grace of God, but not everything did. I have actually found it difficult throughout my life to fully believe that I'm loved unconditionally. An unsettled feeling that I'm not quite good enough, not fully worthy of love, sits just beneath the surface, pestering my psyche, robbing me of life. This plays out in how I feel about myself, how I respond to those who love me, how vulnerable I am to wounding in life and ministry. All this has been bubbling to the surface for some time, begging for attention. Now, of course, I know as well as you do the theory that God loves me unconditionally. I say theory because it's just good theology to me. It's not necessarily what I believe deep down. What the Bible teaches and what we believe deep down can be two quite different things. Real spiritual formation changes and shapes what we truly believe, not what we say we believe. And God's got to get to the heart to affect that. And so last year, I invited God to do that. I involved a counsellor and a spiritual director for probing my inner emotional and spiritual terrain. And it was a very significant year for me. And I want to share a moment with you from it when Scripture spoke unexpectedly and formatively to my core beliefs. For a number of years, I've set aside occasional days for solid Bible study, mainly because as a professional minister, I know the value of this, but also because I actually love it. Out come the commentaries and the Bible dictionaries, and I get my teeth into some book of the Bible or some biblical theme. I apply my mind to Scripture. Now, I know I've emphasized the heart today, but the formation of the mind through serious study of the Bible, actually matters also, despite what I've said about evangelicals privileging the head over the heart. I actually think some, some intelligent adult Christians wander away from their faith because they're hungry to learn about God in a deeper way than they find within their church context. 
I know people with great knowledge and competency in their professional or vocational fields who find the oversimplified teaching they receive around scripture and the Christian life unsatisfactory, and they can't make the connections between their faith and the rest of life and the world around them. Their minds are actually spiritually starved. So let me say that formation of the mind matters also, but that is a different sermon. Back to that Bible study day. I happened to read the account of Jesus' baptism in Matthew's Gospel. Now here's a painting of Jesus' baptism by contemporary Chinese artist He Qi. I have a print of this on my office wall. I really like it. In Matthew's Gospel, John the Baptist actually hesitates to baptize Jesus out of deference towards him. Jesus has to persuade John that it's necessary for him to be baptized in order to fulfill all righteousness, he says. I sat and thought about that. I thought about the extent to which Jesus willingly and deliberately identified with human brokenness. And then I pondered the fact that as flawed believers who fail regularly, we often actually hold ourselves under judgment rather than letting Jesus fully identify with our sin and our brokenness. And I thought to myself, hmm, who are we to hold our sins against ourselves when Jesus so readily identifies with them at the Jordan and, of course, on the cross? But it wasn't that thought that really struck my heart. It was the next one. I read on to where Jesus comes up out of the waters of baptism and a voice from heaven declares to the startled bystanders, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And having just contemplated how Jesus, uh, how in his baptism he fully identifies with all human sin, therefore we can forgive ourselves. I suddenly heard those words spoken over Jesus, those words of unconditional affirmation and love, and I heard them in a new way. I saw that those, those words spoken by the Father are not only for Jesus, but they truly belong to us because of Jesus' identification with us. I lost a father at age 14. I have struggled to love and accept myself and know that I am fully loved since. And what do you think God says to me? You are my son, Jim, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. It dawned on me that every time I think to myself, you're not good enough, Jim, God answers immediately. With you, Jim, I'm well pleased. And every time I don't feel loved, God is already speaking to me. Jim, you're my son, whom I love. Those words from Scripture and that heart realization for me on that day of study were healing for me in my messy, meandering journey. Don't open the Bible because someone tells you to. Don't measure your performance as someone striving to maintain a discipline. But do go to that one place we have as believers where divine words stop us in our tracks 
drop us to our knees, speak deep into the heart, heal us where we are wounded, and form us for a joyful life of Christian service. God long, longs to shed light on your soul through Scripture. And so my prayer for you today is that God would give you a desire to open his word and that you would have the courage to pray, search me, O God, and know my heart. Shall we pray? Lord God, you have given us this difficult book because it strangely reveals your love and grace and mercy. We admit that we don't know ourselves or love ourselves as you do. Help us hear your voice of love through scripture. Speak to our hearts. Shed light on our souls. And form us through your word and through your spirit into the people we are becoming. In Jesus Christ. Amen.